Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. Well, our scripture reading for today uh, comes from two places. We're going to read two uh, passages from the book of Proverbs. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we really want you to have a Bible. We actually have Bibles available for you on the tables in the back. You can actually slip back there and grab one because we, we really want you to have a Bible. And uh, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, you can feel free to take that home uh, with you today. Um, just as our, our gift to you. Um, if you have a Bible, you can just use it and, and put it back at the end of the service. Um, but Proverbs 17, 17, and Proverbs 18, 24, two passages of Scripture today. Let's read these together. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the title of our sermon series is Friendship, the Sweetest Influence. And it's a slogan, actually, from my fraternity. It it was kind of our fraternity slogan, Phi Gamma Delta there at Auburn. I've always liked the slogan, Friendship, the Sweetest Influence. Um, and I think that, you know, fraternity is kind of an interesting thing to think about. You know, we have all these guys from all over coming together and they don't know each other and they're kind of forced to be together. And then all of a sudden they become really good friends. And, you know, I think that's interesting. It's like, how does that happen? How are those friendships found and how are those friendships forged? And that's really exactly what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, if you were here last week, we started this sermon series and we talked about the essence of friendship. What is friendship? And we said that, that friendship is union. It's, it's a union between people that comes by candor or vulnerability, constancy or consistency, being there, and sacrifice. And we also said that friendship both displays God and that friendship is like God. But, but this week, as I mentioned, I want to talk about how friendships kind of begin and, and how they last. How do you find friendships and how do you forge friendships. When you're little, of course, you're shaped primarily by your parents, right? Your parents obviously have an enormous uh, amount of influence on you as when you're small, when you're a child. I'm reading right now Doris Kearns Goodwin's new book on leadership. Um, Any of y'all ever read some of her books? She is the best historian. And so, but anyway, I'm reading her book on leadership, and it tells the story of all these presidents, Lincoln, the Roosevelts, and Johnson. Uh, But it's interesting to hear their stories, and their parents, obviously, they had very diverse upbringings. Their parents obviously had huge impacts on who they became and how they understood the world and how they developed as leaders. But, but after you come of age, after you kind of enter into adulthood, what really determines you, what really shapes you, what really kind of shapes the person that you will be and the, the values that you have are your friends, the people that you love, the people that you invite into your life. This is so important. Your friends will either shape you toward what truly is in your heart, what is truly in your convictions, or they will pull you away from that. Now, if you're a Christian, obviously our, my hope is that you would not only have friends that leads you to treasure Christ more and more, but that you would be that kind of a friend, that people would know you as, man, if you're friends with so-and-so, they really lead you to know and to love God in a deeper way. So 
Let's talk about these two ideas today, finding friendship and forging friendship. Well, finding friendship, friendships obviously begin in a number of different ways. Sometimes your friendships begin just by proximity. I mean, a lot of my growing up friends, obviously, were like this. Uh, you know, you're, you're just, they're just the people that were there. I mean, my, one of my still good friends to this day, my first like really good friends, a guy named Trey Hodge, and he was just the guy that sat next to me in first grade. And it was, our friendship was formed by proximity, you know? We didn't really share a lot of deep things with one another, you know? He had a Coca-Cola t-shirt on. He had a jean jacket. I still remember the first day of school. I thought that was so cool. I'd never seen jeans being worn as a jacket before. And, you know, Trey at that time was going out with Heather Pierce, who was the hottest girl in first grade. And I thought, man, I want to be friends with, with this guy. And so we, we became friends. And a lot of your growing up friendships are like that. They're just kind of formed by proximity, who you're going to school with, who you're doing activities with. Activity-based friendships, proximity-based friendships. And these can be very good friendships. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not speaking ill against these kinds of friendships. In fact, I used to have a lot of my friends from growing up that really were activity-based friendships. We played sports together. We went to school together. Even in those days, some friends that went to church together as an activity-based kind of relationship. But when you really encounter God in a saving way, when you really get to know Christ, and I know that not all of you, you have met God in this kind of deep and, uh, deep and relational kind of way, but when you do, it is so, so soul-shifting. It is so life-changing. And obviously, it makes sense. It makes sense that if you really encounter the creator of the universe who desires relationship with you and oneness with you, then it changes you. It changes how you think. It changes how you interact with people. It re-alters you in a way that it's hard for a non-believer to understand. And so when I was growing up, most of my friendships were based on activity, on sports, on school, you know, and, and I say even on church in kind of a church as an activity kind of way, I say that intentionally. But when I, I got to college, I developed friendships that were really centered on Christ. And I really never experienced friendships like this before where I would meet with guys and we would pray together. The kind of friendship that, that Mike and Matt were talking about earlier. I'd meet with guys that would encourage me. I'd meet with guys that would call me out on sin in my life. And, you know, I had some church friends. We had the common activity of going to church together. But these college friendships, as I started to develop them, were very different. They were richer. They were fuller. There was a pursuit of the Lord. It wasn't centered on Christianity or Christian activity, but it was really centered on Christ. They had experienced Jesus in this really rich way, and they wanted me to experience Jesus in a more full and complete way. I had one group of guys that I would meet with, you know, on a regular basis. We met, this, this is the kind of stuff you do at college. We met every Sunday night at 10 p.m. That's when we had our meeting. Because that's like, 10 p.m. is like a, Find meeting time when you're in college. And we would pray together and we would confess sin together. And it was this rich time of relationship. And those kinds of friendships carried over to seminary. When I went to seminary, I mean, obviously you expect there would be some Christian guys there. But I, I, when I first moved to Louisville, I had no friends. I, I knew no one in Louisville except for one eighth grade boy that had been my camper at the JH Ranch. And, um, you know, 
<laughs> that would have been weird if he was my big running buddy. So, you know, but, but slowly and surely, I made a bunch of friends up there. And I, as some of y'all know, I lived in this house. It started off with two of us living in the house, and guys just kept moving in. What started off as two guys living in a house became nine guys living in a house. Um, but we had a real rich friendship. We were more than just roommates, and we would pray for one another, and we, would, we did the same thing. Actually, coincidentally, we met every Sunday night at 9 o'clock. We were a little older, moved the time back. It's funny, I actually have a similar group of guys to now. We meet every other Sunday night at 8 o'clock, right? So the older you get, the earlier your meeting gets. But anyway, I, I experienced this rich relationships with these other believers that we were pursuing Christ together. We were truly vulnerable. I felt like these guys really... They, we, we, as Mike and Matt were talking, we, we really felt one another's, we carried one another's burdens. When they were doing well, I was doing well. When they were not doing so well, I would be truly sad. Well, after seminary, I, I actually moved, I think some of y'all may know this, I actually moved back to Huntsville. My dad's a pastor in Huntsville, and I was on his staff for about 10 months. It was my hometown, and I'd had all these rich friendships in college and in seminary. I'd go back to Huntsville and I just, you know, I'm having, I'm trying to make friends with people and trying to build from relationships with people. And I just had the hardest time. But I, I was around a lot of these guys that I had grown up with, that I had relationships by proximity, relationships by activity, even some of the people that I'd gone to, to church with. So I remember one day I was just like, you know what, I really want to just, I, I want to have a, I need some deep relationship. And so I sat down with this guy and this was a guy that I had known for years. He was a good friend. I love this guy. And I, I kind of did what I had done with these college and seminary friends. I just started talking to him about what the Lord was doing in my life. I started talking to him about, you know, just some sins that I was struggling with. You know, I confessed some sin to him and just talked about things that God was teaching me and just, you know, really laid my heart out. And afterward, and as he, li- and he listened, and then you know what he said in response? He said, that's cool, man. And then basically got up and walked away. It was as if, I'm not looking for sympathy, but thank you. <laughs> thank you. But it was as if he, he, he just didn't have a concept for what I had learned about in those years. I had experienced this richness, this depth, this, the reality of a sweet friendship that is focused on Christ. I realized what these passages were about. A friend, a true friend, loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. You know, if you're in a pinch, if you really get sick, if you really get in big-time trouble, may, your brother, hopefully, if you get, you know, you, you have to go to jail, maybe, hopefully your brother shows up when you're in real adversity. Family has a way of doing that, right? You know, families go to funerals of family members. They, they, they come around when there's a pinch, But a friend actually is sweeter than that. A friend loves at all times, in the bad times and in the good times. This passage is saying, in a sense, that a friend is better, can be better than family, can be better than a brother, if you truly find a great friend. The second passage, a man with many companions um, may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Again, the same kind of essence. Friendship can actually be richer and deeper than family. If your relationships are based on activity, if your relationships are based on function or proximity, then if the proximity disappears, if the function disappears, if the activity disappears, then the friendship goes away. But a true Christian friend, it's deeper than this. It's deeper than even family. And and what I had found in these college and seminary friendships uh, is that. 
And the reason that they were so great, these relationships were so great, is that they had this common interest of Christ. And because he was so great, and because he was so life-giving, and because he could change us and shape us, then those friendships were so great, and they were so life-giving, and they were so fulfilling. We had a common focus. We had a common activity, but it was more than just playing sports together or going to school together or even going to church together. We were pursuing the Lord together. C.S. Lewis has this helpful quote here. He says, lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Isn't that true? If you fall in love, you always say, oh, uh, Paige and I, when we were falling in love, we would always say, oh, our love story, our love. My love, I love, my love for you is so deep, Paige. And I would try to explain it. I still do that because I'm, I'm a sucker for her. I'm crazy about her. I can't help it. But I talk about our love. I would talk about, I never do that with my friends, right? I never say, our friend's story is so magical, you know. <laughs> and I don't, you don't do that with friendships. Lovers are always talking about their loves, but friends hardly ever talk about their friendships. Lovers are normally face to face, right? You are so great. You are no. You are you're you're sweeter. You're more amazing. They're absorbed in each other, but friends are side by side, absorbed in some common interest. And what I had found in these friendships that was so much richer and fuller than the previous friendships that I had had that were focused on football or going to school together or whatever, even those were real friendships. And I'm not saying that they weren't real and meaningful to me, but because we had a new common interest, the greatest common interest, the common interest of the Lord, there was a depth and a union about these kinds of friendships that was so life-giving, that was so fulfilling. Now, There's four people in this room right now. There's four kinds of people in this room right now. There are some of you, and you're not believers here, and all this sounds kind of weird to you. You're saying, okay, I don't really know what this guy's talking about. I'm glad he's got friends or whatever. But it's kind of, you don't really have a category for it, and that's okay. What I am saying, if you're in that category, is that there is a richness of relationship that is found in Christ that is unlike anything else in this life. There's a second group of you, though, and you are a believer. You know the Lord. You know that there's a depth in the knowledge of God that's great. But, but to be honest, you've never really had friends like this. You've had good church activity friends, maybe. You've had you know, other activity friends, other secular friends. But there's, there's not a lot of depth to your relationship. There's not a lot of candor. There's not a lot of consistency. There's not a lot of sacrifice, as we talked about last week, in your relationships. There's a third category of you, and you've had friendships like this in the past. Truly Christ-centered, spirit-filled, rich relationships where you're stirring one another along. A friendship like Mike and Matt, they just talked about. You've, you've known that in the past, but you moved, something happened, and your life now is kind of empty of those. And then there's a fourth category, and hopefully, and I hope this is a lot of you, you, you have those kinds of rich relationships. You've, you're experiencing what I'm talking about right now. My goal for our church in 2019 is that you would find friendship. You'd find real friendship. This kind of friendship that I'm describing, this kind of soul-stirring, deep-facing Christ together, deeper than family and better than a brother kind of friendships. But friendship has to be found. It has to be found. It doesn't just happen. And I just want to say, if you're looking for friendship like this, if there's something in your soul that says, this is right, then you are in the right place. These are people, for the most part, around you that are facing Christ. 
And my goal is that we would be a people that face Christ together, that stir one another along together, that are interested in the Lord together. So if you're looking for friendships, you are in the right spot. And there's many pathways within a local church context to find friendships. Uh, We have a great groups ministry, for example. We have 18, and it's about to be 19 different groups. They meet usually weekly, and you can go to those. You can build real relationships. They're people that are pursuing Christ together. Some of those groups may be bigger groups, and you may need to find a group of friends within the group that you're meeting with at a separate time and praying with each other or hanging out with and doing life together. Another pathway to friendship that I think is just great is just serving together. In fact, you know, just this week, there's a group of guys that became friends by serving together, and they went out and spent some time together this week just to encourage one another to pray with each other. They met, they became friends, they found friendship by serving with one another. So there's so many different pathways. This is one of the reasons we push church membership, because we want we want to take care of all our members and help all our members find life-giving friendships. Now, again, we need you to take some initiation in this. Uh, You know, we can't, uh, um, you know, I can't program every relationship in this church. Uh, I I want you, I hope that you're hearing this and realizing, you know, I need to be pursuing this. I need to be pursuing these uh, relationships. I need to be going after these kinds of relationships. You know, when I was in college, that group that I just mentioned, no pastor kind of told us to do that. We were just like 19-year-old guys and Christians, and we started kind of meeting together. Uh, But we also, as pastors, do want to help you find this. And if you are a member, every member here is a part of a parish. And actually, this month, our pastors are going to be contacting every member and and asking you, what are some of your spiritual goals for this year? Some of your spiritual goals may be, I need to find deeper community. I need to find real friendship. I need to find a real relationship. And that's something that will come alongside you and help you and pray for you. So let us know those things. This is a goal that I have, that friendship would be found this year. But friendship also must be forged. Friendships must be found but friendships must be forged. Real friendship is hard. You know, Mike and Matt talked about this. It takes consistency. It takes time. It takes intentionality. There is a forging that must take place. A, a friend loves at all times, even in adversity, even when things are hard. There's this great old essay on friendship by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he says this, the glory of friendship is not the outstretched hand, not the kindly smile, not even the joy of companionship. And I love this. It's the spiritual inspiration. There's something spiritual. There's something otherworldly about this. It's the spiritual inspiration that comes to one when you discover that someone else believes in you and is willing to trust you with friendship. You know that feeling that I'm talking about? when you know that someone loves you and they want to give themselves to you without expecting anything in return. They trust you with their lives. They're pouring themselves into you because they love you, because they care about you, You, because you found friendship. When someone sticks around and sacrifices for you, as Emerson says, it brings spiritual inspiration. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother You know, and this is true. Do you have friends that stick close? And when I was at Valleydale, 
pastoring, before I came here, I was pastoring in Birmingham, a larger church. We had a really big missions budget, you know, it was $900,000 plus a year, whatever. And so I always got these calls from these guys that would say, uh, hey, uh, Jason, I'm passing through town. Uh, we were in Hebrew class together back in seminary. Do you want to hang out? And I'd be like, who are you? You know, excuse me? They're like, yeah, 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 you know, we, we had Hebrew together. And I said, okay, well, you want to meet about something? They said, well, I just want to get together. I just want to, you know, hang out a little bit. And then a lot of times, you know, I'd get with them and they'd say, well, you know, I'm actually planting this church and I was wondering if Valleydale could help support this church. And, you know, da, 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 da. And then, you know, two and a half years ago, we moved over here. I became the church planter. And I don't get any calls from my old Hebrew buddies anymore. It's like, where did that go? Where that, that all dried up. Well, of course, everyone wants to be around a person with money and with influence and with power. A man of many companions, because he has wealth, because he is doing something valuable, that may have many companions, but that man may come to ruin. It's when you have none of that that your true friends show up that your true friends run in. Samuel Stinnett, who wrote a lot on friendship, says, while an acquaintance may run from trouble, a true friend will run into trouble. And friends rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Have any of you parents heard the expression, you're only as happy as your saddest child? You know, those of you who are parents know this. You're only as happy as your saddest child. And this was Mike and Matt were hinting at this earlier, it's the same is true of real friendship. If you have a real friendship, when they're happy, you are so happy. Your whole soul lifts up. When they're sad, you can't help but carry that burden because you're so connected with them. It was what I said last week. The essence of friendship is union. Friendship has to be forged, see? And to forge something means to heat it and to hammer it. That's what it means to forge something. You heat it and you hammer it. Do you have friendships that can take heat and hammering? Do you have friendships that can survive heat and hammering? Are you a friend like this? And look, when you have friends like that, and when you have friendships that do survive heat and hammering, what comes out is a beautiful, a more beautiful, a forged, more beautiful friendship. But this is really this is really hard to find because real forged friendship requires something that is so rare. And what I'm talking about is love. It requires real love, not marketplace love, not loving with the hope to get something out of the deal, not loving as an exchange kind of way, but real, selfless, genuine loving. That's why real friendship is so hard to find, because this kind of love is so hard to find. There's a pastor that I know who... I had a guy start coming to his church who was blind. And he started coming to the church and he started joining a group in the church. He started making friends within the church. And this guy lived in an apartment complex. He was blind and it was hard for him to kind of get around. And so I was just so impressed by this when this guy told me this story. People from the church moved into the apartment. They moved because they loved this guy. And this guy was blind. And they needed, he needed eyes, and so they became his eyes, and they would take him to the store, and they helped take him to work, and they would help take him to church. I was so impressed by that. There was a lady um, 
Any of y'all go to the Starbucks at Peachtree Battle? Anyone here? Regulars? Okay. All right. I'm a regular there. And um, I've gotten to know a lot of the, the baristas. And there's one uh, there named Danica. Didn't you all know Danica? She was great. She was a manager. She left. She's got another job now. But she was fantastic. So Danica and I would talk. And she told me one day that she was learning sign language. Okay. And I said, why are you learning sign language? And she said, well, because I have a friend that went deaf, and I want to talk to my friend, <laughs> and because I want my friend to listen at church. I want my friend to be able to go to church. And so Danica, like her church doesn't have, you know, you've been to churches with like the sign language. Her friend doesn't have, her church doesn't have that. So she's learning sign language so she can like pseudo preach to her friend and so she can talk to her friend. And I just thought, man, that is, this is a woman that is busting her tail managing a Starbucks. That's a hard job. And she's taking time to learn Starbucks. She's taking time to learn uh, sign language. She's doing that too, but she's taking time to learn sign language because she loves her friend. You know, you know Blake Rogers, who's here? Uh, you, know, you know what Blake's parents are doing? Now, this isn't technically a friend's story, but I'm just always so impressed by it. You know, Blake is, you know, a man now. His, his biological sister, she's grown. They have kids of their own. But you know what Blake's parents are doing? They've got, their, their kids are out of the house. And you know what they're doing? They have adopted seven children, many with very severe disabilities. I mean, very severe disabilities. Seven children, many with very severe disabilities to raise them and take care of them because these were children that weren't going to have parents. Now, look, I'm not asking you... The, the, the application here is not to learn sign language or to move or to adopt seven kids. <laughs> but I am saying this, if you want to be a friend and if you want to have friends, if you want real relationships, you have to be willing to be forged. You have to be willing to go through heat and hammering. But on the other side of that, there is something beautiful and rich and lasting. To quote Emerson again, spiritually inspirational. Now you might be thinking, I don't know if I could ever love like that. You might be thinking, this sounds so fairyland. It sounds so, you know, Tom Rinaldi story, but it doesn't sound like real, something that I could actually do. I don't know that I could ever love like that. I don't know that I could ever, if you're honest with yourself, I don't know that I could ever make myself so uncomfortable to have that kind of a relationship with a friend. And let me tell you this, you won't love like that. You won't love like that until you've been loved like that. I really believe this. Our capacity to give love is only as great as our capacity to receive love. Our capacity to give love, really and truly, not where we're serving to be seen or to get something in return, but to really love people without expecting it in return. Our capacity to give love is only as great as our capacity to receive love. You may say, well, you know, what do you see in the Bible? I think this is what 1 John 4, for example, is all about. We love because he first loved us. I don't know Danica, the lady at Starbucks. I know her a little bit, but I don't know her that well. I don't know these people that moved to the apartment for the blind guy very well. I don't really know Blake's parents very well, but I do know this. I, knew that, I know that, that each of them has received an enormous amount of love in their life because they are giving an enormous amount of love. You will be able to love like this if you know that you have been loved like this. 
And so the hope for us as a church that is pursuing love, that is pursuing friendship, is that we would realize that we have been loved. And this is what the gospel is all about. These stories don't seem so strange if you really know the gospel. If you really believe that God, Christ the Son, who was in heaven in union with God, left heaven, left his father's side to come to earth, to come to a strange place, and not to live an opulent life on uh, on earth, but to be a man acquainted with sorrows and poverty, to be a fugitive, to be on the run even as a child, to be hated by so many on earth. If you really believe that God subjected himself to that because he loves you and because he was pursuing you, then someone moving across town into a nice apartment with a swimming pool and tennis court doesn't seem so strange. If you really believe that Christ identifies with you fully and completely, that he came so that he could know us fully, don't you realize this? That Jesus covered his divinity in humanity and he was tempted in every way just as we are. And he was a man acquainted with griefs. He was betrayed. He was forsaken. His friends turned their backs on him. He he experienced all of the things that you and I experienced so that he could know us, so that we could know him, so that we could have union with him, if you really believe that, then someone learning sign language, someone learning a different language so they could have fellowship with their friend doesn't seem all that strange. If you really realize that Jesus came, not just so that we could know God in some distant kind of servant and slave way, but know God as sons and daughters, that we in the work of Christ could be adopted. That's what the Bible says. In the fullness of time, as Galatians 4 said, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of a lot, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. If you really believe that, then someone adopting children with severe disabilities doesn't seem so strange. If you really believe that God adopted you, God sent his own son to pursue and give himself and sacrifice for you. Now, again, adoption, that is something that takes a great price. It's a great expense. It's a, it's a great headache. It's a hard thing to do to really adopt. But don't you see how much harder it was for Jesus to redeem us? How did Jesus redeem us? Well, we read it in the previous Galatians passage, Galatians 3, that Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse. What's so rare in friendship What is so rare in friendship is to find a friend that would actually bear a burden without expecting anything in return. That is so rare to find. That kind of love is so rare to find. But don't you see this is exactly what Jesus did when he took on your burden of sin, when he became the curse on your behalf When all of our debt to God was put on him, Jesus, who was innocent, who deserved to be rewarded, took on guilt and became the curse, says the Bible, and was punished so that we in him, if you know him, so that you could be innocent and so that you could be rewarded. It's the greatest act of love ever, and it's been given to you. And if you get this, if you see this, if you receive this love, then your capacity to love will be so great. It will be strangely great. It will be spiritually encouraging. It will be spiritually inspiring, to quote Emerson. 
But of course, Jesus just didn't die to show us love. He lives and he calls us to life in him. He calls us to life in him whereby we display his love to one another. This is why I just want to say, when you get a hold of this Christ covenant, if we would get a hold of this, if you really got a hold, if I really got a hold of how deeply you've been loved by God in Christ, then your capacity to love one another would be so great, would be so strange. It would change the world. It would shape lives. It would shape souls. It would shape ideas. It would change the whole world. This is what Christianity has always done. This is why Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, if you love one another as I have loved you, then everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you start loving, if you've received this love from me and you start loving one another just with a shadow of the love that I've shown you, then the world will know. The world will be changed. The world will know that you're my disciples. The world will see the hand of God. So may this be realized here. That's my goal for this church, that we would know this kind of love and give this kind of love to one another and to people that we haven't, you know, people that are outside of here, that we love, that we're that are outward-facing relationships. And that through this, this world would be changed. Let me pray. Father, I, I, I pray, Father, that you would just do this in our hearts, that these things that I'm saying today would not seem strange, but would seem real and would seem full. And that as we sit here, Lord, listening to this word preached, we would, we would be a people that receive the love and the grace that has been shown to us in Christ, that we would believe that Jesus really does love us, that he really is pursuing us, that he really is after us. So Lord, shape us, convict us, move us, Lord, fill our hearts with this truth. And may we be the kind of people who have been shaped by your pursuit, by the gospel. Or may we apply the gospel and be shaped by it, Lord. For the sake of one another and, Lord, so this, for the sake of Christ and his kingdom being known. Do this work, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041 or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.